As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Euro 2020 coverage, day 11, and it's heaven for the Great Danes, who gave us a brilliant reminder of why we love this game. I'm not crying, you're crying. Finland came close to pooping the park and party, but there was no denying Lukaku and Co. in St. Petersburg. Ukraine needed only a point, but they really Scotlanded it up by failing to score. Meanwhile, Austria have sex. Um, Zex. Six. Six. Austria have six points. Yes, the Austrians are going through to the round of sex scene. Sex scene. I need to work on my German pronunciation for fuck's sake. Meanwhile, the Netherlands have a lot of promise. Well, they have Quincy Promise, who didn't show much promise, but Holland were anything but de boring when they gore ran away with it against North Macedonia. I hope Taylor's still alive. My name is Ryan Bailey, <laughs> and joining me today in the full straight TSS lineup is the aforementioned man I haven't spoken to in two days, and I miss him like a Marco Anortovich missed shot. Taylor Rockwell. Oh my goodness. That was incredible, Ryan Bailey. That is a perfect start to this show. I was leaning off mic with my head in my hands, I will be honest. Uh, and I did have to fill, fill your shoes uh, to the extent that I could yesterday. And man, I, after about like two minutes of trying to write that introduction, I was just like, how does he do this and still watch the games? Because I think to do what you just did for me would require me to wake up at like 7 a.m. and not stop trying different combinations, even before the games. I feel like I'd have to be writing. When I go on my morning run, I often find myself going on pun runs, Taylor, in more than one sense of the word. That's kind of what I do when I formulate these things. I've got to up my game, though, because Joe Lowry's really getting in on my patch lately. <laughs> uh, with his, uh, He did some good titles of episodes recently with Gerson's, and uh, I've heard him punning away on here in my absence. So I've got to try and up my game. Uh, and speaking of, of the man I just mentioned, he is a man who doesn't have to refresh the ranking of third place teams on Wikipedia like I do to know what's going on. At least I don't think he does. It's Joe Lowry. Oh, no, I, I do, Ryan. I definitely, definitely do. Thank you for the for the pun compliments, by the way. I can never aspire to be quite at your level in the whole pun game, but even nearing slightly, even getting a little bit closer, I'm counting that as a win. That's right. Stay in your place, Joe. Stay in your place. <laughs> <laughs> also here, of course, is a man who's finer than a Romelu Lukaku offside decision, Graham Rudman. Hi, Ryan. I, I just have to express my admiration for that was a real tour de force at the start of the podcast. I'm not really sure how we're going to progress beyond this point, to be honest. It's just going to be the final review. That's It's going to be the entire show is just going to be Ryan's introduction. We'll be like, yeah, it was a good game. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you next next Euros. I'm, I'm pretty much spent by this point, so I'm just going to say, have at it, guys. Speak among yourselves. I'm just going to put my feet up for, for another half an hour or so. Um, but we did have uh, plenty of action to talk about, of course, with these games. Can I, before we get to the action, 
I want to know from each of you how you went about watching these games today. We had four games, obviously two of them simultaneous with one another. Are you dual screening today? Are you watching one and aimlessly flicking the channels like I tried for at least half a game and it didn't work very well? Taylor, how did, how did you approach these? I like I went for a, a, a sort of natural drift today of, of what ended up drawing my attention. I had one on the small screen, one on the bigger screen. Uh, and I think for the first round of games, I had Ukraine-Austria on the bigger screen and basically stuck with that one throughout. With the second round of games, it was a little bit more... Uh, chopping and changing and by the end my notes I definitely was trying to keep parallel notes and there's a lot of scribbling out and putting it into the right game because I was writing in the wrong game um so my my follow-up questions I know you have big dog little dog was big dog watching big screen and little dog watching little screen respectively uh big dog and little dog were not were not around for the games because they can't be relied upon to not uh make noise and and get wild that said one of them (laughs) is half Belgian so I feel like she was pretty happy with the way things went down Oh, how about you, Joe? Did you make noise and get wild? Oh, you know it, Ryan. Come on. Yeah, I I watched (laughs) North Macedonia and the Netherlands with my full attention and then sped through Ukraine-Austria, watched some of it on Fast Forward, watched sections of it and all that jazz. And then I watched Belgium-Finland in its entirety and then just kept a quarter of an eye, not even half an eye, just a quarter of an eye on Russia-Denmark. And I feel like I missed out on the best game of the day, but I'm really looking forward to hearing more about it from you fine gentlemen. And finally, Graham, I'm picturing you in Glasgow, like minority reporting with a few (laughs) screens, like swiping away and watching stuff in in a futuristic way. Uh, Were we supposed to watch these games? (laughs) I didn't. I just did some puns. All right. Okay. Uh, No, my my office setup is uh, kind of my pride and joy. And so I I have kind of two TVs that I can just watch them both on simultaneously. Um, so yeah, but I, I I was very much watching through the prism of Scotland. Graham, you have a child, <laughs> right? I just want to make that clear. <laughs> as you refer to your office setup as your pride and joy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, everyone in this house knows their place. <laughs> now I'm picturing you literally watching the games through a prism, and they're sort of projected in different angles on on your walls or something. Yeah, that's very exciting. <laughs> that's if exactly the light catches it, it is, yeah. If the light catches it just right, you can almost make out Billy Gilmore's figure. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Joe. (laughs) Joe, why? (laughs) Joe, don't. Um, We're going to have words about that later, by the way. Billy Gilmore um, having to sit out the game uh, tomorrow because of of COVID, um, having exposure to COVID. I have a theory that he was actually a Trojan horse because Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount are now self-isolating out of precaution. He was just trying to take out England players, wasn't he? Wasn't he, Jeremy? It's not really a fair trade, though, is it? I mean, you've got Ben Chilwell out. I mean, I forgot he was even in the squad. We've <laughs> we've we've got we've got our, our only our, um, our only player who can actually control a ball and pass it not not available to face a, a team that can, likes to control the ball and pass it a lot. Oh, it's a disaster. Joe just, anyway, Joe more just that pulled later. that pin and walked away. Wow, Joe, <laughs> Joe just tossing a grenade right into the middle of that one. Well done, Joe Lowry. All right, let's keep that one uh, on on a gentle simmer until we talk about those later on in the podcast. I think we should probably start in Copenhagen. By the way, um, I think the way we're doing this, gents, is that Joe and Graham focused specifically on a couple of games uh, and Taylor playing the free-floating Antoine Griezmann role, uh, sort of going between these games as they were happening is my understanding. Me, I'm just here for vibes as usual. But uh, let's go to Group B. Uh, The big one, of course, Russia against Denmark. Um, Denmark coming out 4-1 winners. Russia, the designated home team because hey that's what this Euro 2020 tournament's been all about Denmark are going through they're in second place in Group B they're into the round of 16 they'll face Wales in Amsterdam on Saturday Russia meanwhile they're going home Seinfeld eating popcorn that's a shame gif alert um Before we get to the action, Taylor, I loved the footage at the end of this game. A very, very emotional game, an up and down, a roller coaster of a game. But the footage of the Danes in a circle at the end, refreshing phones to make sure they knew the result of the other game to make sure they were going through. That was kind of wonderful in a very modern way. Everything about the end of these games and the earlier games as well, to see Austria going through and to see the reactions and how excited they were to make the knockout round where they'll play Italy and have some problems. Uh, but like, I, I have been there as an American fan to be able to like, oh, we made the knockout round. It's definitely there. We've definitely done it. That's always very exciting. But then for the second 
games, everything that like factored into this one. And I will be honest and say that Graham was a big part of this, that I found myself almost forgetting at times that Scotland still needed to beat Croatia. Like we at least <laughs> needed the groundwork to be laid. And there was a moment we still I was like, need to do the difficult bit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, they did it, except not really, but kind of, but not really, but a little bit. But I was very much pulling for Graham uh, to be happy at the end of this one. Um, I will be honest and say I was not pulling for Russia. Uh, I was pulling for Denmark, and that would have probably been the case before uh, the Christian Eriksen uh, injury. It's not even fair to call it an injury. I guess just Christian Eriksen withdrawal and everything that that went on uh, with him. And so to see the team be able to kind of rally, and it did feel like for them to come back, but like Finland got their win, so they did have at least a bright spot in the tournament. Uh, There was... Even then the drama of the disallowed goal and then the soft penalty. And in a moment it felt like, oh, this is George R. R. Martin level trolling writing of like, oh, you thought you were happy? You will not be happy. And then in the end, we got our happy, like the happy finish. I'm not going to say that other phrase. Uh, but it was very, it was very, very just energizing and fun. And it went from me- like trying to take sort of academic, here's what's happening notes to just like back and forth, almost like a, a, a tennis match. Arta Juber almost had his uh, second happy finish here. There he we got go. a, um, he did get on this uh, one from the spot, shall we say? But Graham, I think you were focusing on this one. What can you tell us about Dem- Denmark here? Any highlights that were here in this game? I mean, Christensen had a pretty good game, and he scored a lovely little goal as well. Ah, an absolute rocket of a strike from Andreas Christensen. I think his first ever senior level level goal. And that's what he pulls out, which is is quite incredible. For anyone who hasn't seen it, there's a a chance in the the Russia box that kind of is partially cleared to about 25 yards out, maybe even slightly further out than 25 yards out. And Andreas Christensen just running onto it unleashes an absolute laser into the back of the the Russian net. And that was for 3-1, if I remember it correctly, which was, was at that point was kind of like a release of we're winning this game. Um, it was in the bag because obviously it went 2-0 and then Russia scored from the from the penalty spot to make it 2-1 and at the same time as that happened Belgium had had a Lukaku goal ruled out uh, disallowed for a very very marginal offside decision and so the the, the parking stadium which is um, such an incredible I've never actually visited myself but it's on my list but it looks like such an incredible venue and of course in Denmark they're allowing slightly more fans than most venues in this in this competition in this tournament so it was pretty much a, a packed a packed house and so they're cheering when they think Belgium scored and then the, the momentum switches back when Russia score and I Going along with what what Taylor um, was talking about there, I felt yesterday's games were lacking in in real jeopardy because even though there was a Wales Switzerland thing going on, it was it was really about who was going to go through in second and who was going to go through in third, and so that mm. there's not really much jeopardy there. But this this was real redemption for the format today because. This was, as Taylor said, it was a tennis match where I was, I was switching back and forth between the two games and, and Denmark-Russia really was. Um, even though Belgium-Finland, I think, was quite interesting as well. Denmark-Russia was one of the games of the tournament for me. I'll remember this as one of the defining moments. The ESPN program is putting this on Big Boy ESPN and the other one on ESPN2 was a touch of genius, I thought, from them uh, with respect to how these ones turned out. But you're quite right there, as Taylor was saying, Graham. This 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 Denmark team, you know, they they came off two tough losses, uh, not fully deserved for different reasons, and then they just had such belief in. I think you mentioned that the crowd there's nearly twenty four thousand people at Park and for this one, I think on, I think only um, Hungary has more fans at this tournament at present, and this team. Graham was the only one that's really troubled Belgium in this group as well. And if I were Wales, I'd be a little worried about facing them, frankly. Yeah, I mean, uh, we said it in, in yesterday's podcast that Denmark's position at the bottom of the group, as was the case before kickoff, was a little bit of a, a false position, given everything that had happened. And then their second game had been against, you know, Belgium, the number one ranked team in the world. And so this this sort of performance wasn't too much of a surprise for me. I think um, the, the intensity that they played with, the work rate, they have a lot of quality Denmark in terms of individual players. But the thing that really did for Russia today was I, I just thought the physical output of them for the full 90 minutes. I mean, Myla down the left side, who actually gets his 
gets his goal late on, it, he was just constantly up and down that left side. The energy levels that he had were, were incredible. But not just that, I, I think Kasper Hulman deserves a huge amount of credit um, for the way that he kind of changed the approach of this Danish team. So in our previews before the whole competition started, I said that I expected Denmark to kind of control games through passing patterns in the, in the centre of the pitch and, and triangles, and obviously that involved heavily Christian Eriksen. Then he gets, you know, ruled out of the tournament, to put it lightly. You know, we all know what happened there, and thankfully he's now been discharged from hospital, we should mention. But Hillman kind of changes the approach and goes for a much more kind of hard-running um, tactic strategy from this this Denmark team and and this was this was the embodiment of that and the way that they were doing that was they they were there were still the passing triangles in the centre midfield but then there was a quick ball into the channels for either Yusuf Poulsen or Mela or Daniel Vass on the right side and it it just felt like a really well coached team and I think Hulman deserves a huge amount of credit for the way that he's reacted so quickly to everything that happened to change the approach and I just want to add statistically for this Denmark team they absolutely deserve to get out of this group and the fact that they win this game 4-1 and make it out in emphatic fashion really is fitting for how they've played Graham I love you breaking down some of the tactical changes we've seen statistically man Denmark had 13 shots against them in this group between their three group stage opponents 59 shots for they had 5.61 expected goals for 2.29 expected goals against Those are some pretty resounding numbers that really do show what we've all seen. Denmark deserved to get out of this group, and they're going to be a real problem for Wales, like we've already said. Uh, Joe, um, Euro 92, uh, Denmark famously won this tournament. They only qualified because another team dropped out late on. Uh, They won it against all odds. What you're saying is they're going to win this one again, right? They've already had a pretty good arc, haven't they? (laughs) That would be incredible, right? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but... Man, they have looked very good, and I would expect them to continue looking good in the knockout rounds. Was that was that not the Danish team that there's all the footage of them passing back to Peter Schmeichel and him just picking up the ball and holding it for six seconds? Because I do feel like there's a little bit of like romanticizing that's going on with that Danish team. Whereas... We, don't, we don't talk about that, Taylor. Okay, we that's don't what talk I thought. About that. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you, Graham. It was, that's a mischaracterization. Was... I was just going to say that's a mischaracterization. It was much longer than six seconds. <laughs> there we go. See, that's I guess that's what I, what I feel like is like I remember seeing those clips of him just straight up like they're hit it back to him 40 yards to kill time and not trying to like denigrate that team but just to say that it would be a much bigger achievement if they were able to do so but I feel like that's why you have to celebrate these types of moments where it's their own ingenuity and skill and work rate and determination that pulls this back not like maybe there's some gamesmanship in there but it's kind of again what makes it a sweeter win for a person like me who has no real vested interest in either of these teams it's just that Russia from the like opening minutes were already wasting time and much was made of that that they were taking time to restart and really taking time to take a throw to take a kick if somebody was down somebody stayed down and it was almost to the point when the situation changed and now Russia had to get a goal you could see their players need a minute to remember oh right we're playing quickly now because they would sort of stay down or like they would pass the ball away at one point one of their defenders passes the ball away to kill time then remembers oh wait we're chasing and has to go get the ball and bring it back and it was a mentality shift but like whereas with the Danes it was just a like work keep going work keep going try to make things happen but to Graham's point also make smart adjustments because we saw in the first half Christensen already pushing into midfield and already stepping forward to try to push the rest of the team forward and then that ends with him, albeit from a little bit further back, making that late arriving run to hit that late arriving ball and into the back of the net it went. But it's just, it's such a perfect, like, you know someone's going to get on the end of that one, the way that ball's rolling. And it it has to be hit. There's no receive it calmly and pass that ball around. You have to hit it first time. Ideally, Try you hit it. telling Spain that. Well, yeah. Although, yeah, exactly. Exactly. See, this is my point. And instead of hitting it into Rosette to use uh, the British people's pronunciation, uh, he hits it right in the back of the net. And it was just it was just such a, a perfect ending to that game. But a like a lovely moment for Danish fans, for the Danish team. And then to bring it all back, Ryan, as you said, to have them then huddled up around a phone also felt like something you'd expect to see an amateur team do so it made it that much more awesome that it was the national team of Denmark doing it thank you for using Rose Z by the way and a reminder that the uh, the most popular Texan rock band in the UK is ZZ Top <laughs> uh, anyway, the most engaging that- serial killer H.H. H. Holmes I still can't believe y'all say H uh, do you not say H hang on what do you say H I think I mostly <laughs> say H what would you say Graham H 
<laughs> yeah, it, but uh, generally any of those kind of E F G H is just <laughs> in Scotland. <laughs> I've seen many Sir Alex Ferguson post-match interviews, and that's generally the the noise that comes across, Graham. Yes, you're quite yeah, just right. Just get the gum there. chewing in there, and then yeah, that that's pretty much it. <laughs> Well, great news for Denmark, and Denmark are certainly becoming uh, the world's team in this competition. We wish them very well. Perhaps you don't feel quite the same way if you're Welsh this upcoming weekend, but uh, good stuff from them, certainly. Uh, We're going to talk about the other game in this group, Finland against Belgium, right after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. Let's talk about Finland against Belgium. This one finishing 2-0 to the Belgians. Uh, Finland's head coach, uh, Marku Kanerva, said before the game, this was the biggest match in the history of Finnish soccer. Uh, Joe, I think you focused on this one. It seems from the outset, it was like a... When you, when you watch teams train, like the, the defense versus attack, it was just a lot of that. Finns sitting very deep and Belgians doing what they do. Uh, but the superior side kind of won out in the end. Is that fair to say? I think it's a pretty fair summary. And it's weird because as much as Finland sat deep, I think they had more possession than they had in either one of their previous games. They, they were able to move the ball forward some, not always into the attacking third. I think they had 11 touches in the attacking third in the first half. They got a, a handful more in the second half, but they did have a little bit more possession in the middle third of the field in their own defensive third. Belgium weren't always attacking down their throats. They did allow them to have a little bit of the ball, but generally this game faded into the exact pattern that you're talking about, Ryan, where Finland were back in their 5-3-2 that we've come to know very well. Well, Belgium were in that 3-4-3, 3-4-2-1 that we've also come to know very well from Roberto Martinez over the last few years. To be honest with you guys, I didn't think Belgium was all that good in this game. I, it felt to me a lot like that opener against Russia where they won 3-0, but they don't ever really get out of first gear. And I, I think I came to the conclusion in this game that Belgium, for as much talent as they have, Kevin De Bruyne gets in this starting lineup playing alongside Axel Witzel in the double pivot. They have Eden Hazard starting as the left winger, left attacking midfielder, whatever. They have so much quality in this group. But even in spite of that, I don't really think they're a possession team. I don't think they're a team that is super comfortable in the final third with the ball at their feet. Yeah, they have some nice combination play around the box and they do have a lot of talent. But I think this team is better, and a lot better, in the open field. I think they're better when they can get out in transition, get out in space. And I think that's why they were being a little bit passive. They were playing a little bit slower, allowing Finland to have some of the the ball so they could get out in transition. That goal that Lukaku scores and then doesn't score in the 65th minute, that's coming from transition, where De Bruyne threads him the ball and then he's offside. Then the goal that he actually scores later on in the game also comes from a sort of transition moment. So Belgium is this weird team that thrives against certain teams, and I don't think they really thrived in this game, but they managed to manufacture some of those transition moments and get the goals they needed. So Joe, are, we, are you suggesting that they're going to thrive and get out of second gear? I think this isn't the first time we've said they haven't got out of second gear at this tournament. Are they going to, Are we going to see a better Belgium when they face higher caliber opposition? Absolutely. That's that's my hypothesis, at least. I think if they play in Italy, I think if they play a Spain, I even think if they play a Germany, where the game's just going to be more open naturally because those teams have the ball, like to keep the ball and have that quality. I think if Belgium can sit back in their 5-2-3 or their 5-4-1 defensive block, win the ball and go with Lukaku running at players, with De Bruyne running at players, I think that's when they're especially dangerous. And we just haven't gotten to see a ton of that so far in this tournament. Uh, Taylor, um, AFC Wimbledon legend Marcus Force came on for nine minutes at the end here, had 100% pass success rate. Can I get 10 minutes or so on um, on his game? I mean, just an incredible uh, moment and on an otherwise like pretty uneventful day, that was the thing that stood out to me. 
I love you, Ryan Bailey. Your willingness to work in Wimbledon into any sort of show is both impressive and I would say I'm not even going to go negative. I'm going to go awe-inspiring. It's impressive and awe-inspiring all at once. Uh, to be a more sincere question, fin- Finland, I thought they held out pretty well in this mm-hmm. game, all things considered. Belgium are a very attacking team. They did sit very deep, Finland. they got to be given credit for keeping keeping the Belgians at bay for as long as they did, do they not? I mean, they, they yeah. kind of wilted towards the end, and that's understandable. No, I think they absolutely do. And it was really strange, like I said, jumping back and forth uh, to the ESPN uh, punditry team for this one. And uh, Alejandro Moreno, I felt like, was pretty negative about what Belgium were doing. Uh, and also, when Belgium did eventually score the winner and then their second goal was a little bit like, oh, you know, it's going to happen. And it, and it occurred to me only then that if you're watching that game, if you are covering that game, you're going to have a vested interest in this team, in these two teams, and there will be an element of, like, Finland are fighting, and the nation of Finland wants to make it through. And it was a strange moment for me, jumping back and forth, to be like, yeah, yeah, but Finland, it's fine. Like, we all want the Danes to go through. And so I feel bad that in another context, we're very sort of sad that Finland, who got the three points and then, like, have, have shown strong and, and fought for every single thing they got, almost pulled it out and almost got the draw but then did not it's just that everything else that happened in this group makes that not quite the the cinderella story it could have been but i think it's still an impressive tournament from them to get the three points and then to to basically cause problems for a team that could like easily win the whole tournament in the form of belgium to to make them have to bring in some big guns and change things up and then rely on those big guns to get the performance i think definitely all credit to finland uh, Graham, I think you you, uh, you you were able to pick the winner out of these two games and focus on the other one. But did you catch any of this one? Any thoughts on this one? Um, not. I, I wasn't really watching this one at any great length, other than when the uh, the Prism of Scotland led me to it for <laughs> for a few key moments. But um, yeah, I think Finland, on reflection, they, I think they were slightly better in this tournament than I I anticipated them to be. Obviously, that first game is a little bit of a anomaly, but as Taylor mentioned there, they they have caused problems for the the teams that they have faced, and I think with a little bit extra quality from. In particular, I think Timo Puki maybe had quite a poor tournament actually, and if he'd shown a little bit more quali- quality, and he was he was kind of shown up by uh, Piao and Palo, sorry, sorry, mm. um, his his strike partner, he he had a much better tournament, and if they'd had kind of a double threat, then maybe they might have had more cutting edge. But um, yeah, the, the question I've got about the teams that finish third who don't know that they're through yet is, do they just stay at their training base until all the other matches have been completed and then if they if they don't have enough they just go home <laughs> like yeah. it seems like a strange scenario i think that's I, as i recall that's what albania had to do in 2016 they were basically like the first team and it felt very or one of the first teams to conclude group stage play and it felt very unlikely they would go through but it was either them or another small team weren't actually eliminated until the final day so yeah, until then, I guess you're hanging out and still training. Probably not training to the full degree, I would hope. Like maybe you get some fun things to do, so it doesn't quite feel like you're just hurry hurrying up and then waiting for results elsewhere. But yeah, otherwise, I think they're all hanging out. Yeah, so Finland are on three points, as are Ukraine, both with negative goal differences at the moment. So they are in that precarious position, as you say, Graham. But you know, Scotland are the experts at going home early, so maybe they should consult you guys to see what they should do about the situation. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, the joke's on you, Ryan, because we're already home. The game's being played in Glasgow, so... <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Before we move on, I apologize. I'm sorry. But I, I did just want to go back to one quick moment, which is the the second goal, the Lukaku goal, the one that stood. And it's a great example uh, for uh, our friend Mr. O'Shaughnessy, why, or Daniel O'Shaughnessy, why you can't just play the man <laughs> and why like trying to basically body Lukaku is not the best idea because I think he's so focused on like essentially not letting Lukaku feel comfortable when he's receiving the ball back to goal that he doesn't really try to make a play on the ball O'Shaughnessy he's trying to just let uh, like Lukaku know he's there hassle him into making a bad decision but because of that Lukaku is able to receive the ball let it go all the way across his body then take that touch and get the shot off and I think O'Shaughnessy is so focused on stopping Lukaku, the player. He doesn't focus on stopping the ball and then Lukaku, the goal-scoring threat who can shoot the ball very hard if you give him five yards of space to shoot. So it's a credit to Lukaku. Commiserations to Daniel O'Shaughnessy in Finland. But uh, yeah, it felt it felt right given that that goal was disallowed by, what, like a half an inch or something like that. I'm, I'm glad Belgium were able to get the results. Lukaku got his goal and on we go. It was very Premier League, wasn't it? Yes, the lines, yes it was. The lines came out. Not a How great thin the performance, I, I feel like, across these two games. Eh, 
We've seen better at this tournament. Let's say that, shall we? Um, shall we move on to Group C, gentlemen? Uh, why don't we talk about Ukraine versus Austria in Bucharest? Uh, this one finishing 1-0 to the Austrians. The West Ham derby, Anortovic versus Yarmolenko, of course. Uh, Christoph Baumgart, a goal making the difference here. Austria are through. Uh, they will face Italy at Wembley in the round of 16 on Saturday as well. They are in the knockout stages for the first time. Um... What, what, uh, Graham, you focused on this one, didn't you? Uh, your impressions here of Austria, who uh, who turned it on a little bit? Yeah, they absolutely did. And of all the teams and all the games that I've watched at this tournament, I think this is the one that surprised me the most in terms of a, a team turning in a performance that was a little bit out of the blue. Because I think after Austria's uh, second game, I went on pretty hard on them saying it was the the most annoying, the most infuriating performance that I'd seen from a team at this tournament. So to go from that to this, which was a a, a really good performance that I think they, they, they definitely deserve to win, and especially um, against a Ukraine team that have been a lot of fun at this tournament. They have the phrase that everyone keeps repeating about them is they've got goals in them. And so to keep a, mm-hmm. a you know a clean sheet against them as well was, was very impressive. However, having said that, it does make me think that Franco Foda this this team we should have seen this team before now because a lot of the changes that he made for this game were very much the changes that people were calling for mm. primarily the, the the main one being uh, uh, David Alaba out to the left side where he could have much more of an influence on that on that game and he his um his positioning and Baumgartner's positioning um who he scored the the winning goal and actually had to go off injured shortly after that but the, the two of them were, were, were very much working space very well. Either Alaba was getting the ball on the left side to get a delivery into the box or his overlapping runs were um, drawing defenders away. And in particular, Yarmolenko was the one being drawn back into that, that uh, midfield area. And that's not an area he really wants to be in. It's not a job that he's particularly good at. And the number of times that Austria had opportunities on the edge of the box to get shots away they, they really could have scored more than certainly in the first half they should have been two or three up and watching it as a as a Scotland fan who didn't want a draw from this game I was uh, pretty certain that was going to come back and bite them in the second half but it didn't they did a they did a really good job of seeing this one out uh Graham did anyone tell Ukraine they needed a point from this game <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was a peculiar performance I have to say especially given as I say what we've what we've seen from them earlier in this tournament where they have played with high tempo, high pace, um, you know, a lot of attacking flair. And there was just none of that in this performance and in a game where they needed something from it to give themselves a chance of uh, either qualifying in second or finishing as one of the best place third place teams. But I think I think Austria just, they did a really good job of suffocating them. They won the 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 battle in midfield. As I say, it was a much better balance with Alaba in, in, in the wider role. There was a bite and an aggression to Austria that I hadn't seen from them. In this tournament, they were they were pressing in high in, in twos and threes. There was a, a bit of orchestration about them, some sign of coaching, which I hadn't seen from them in this tournament. And uh, Malinovsky in particular just couldn't get into this game for Ukraine. And in, and in turn, that just starved uh, Yaramchuk, who's been one of the stars of this tournament so far. He just didn't have any service and just mm. nothing really happened for Ukraine. All the kind of supply lines were cut cut for them. Taylor, uh, there's Mm. been a narrative about Ukraine perhaps being a dark horse, albeit a a dark, dark horse. And maybe there was even a little whispering of that narrative about teams like Turkey as well. But dark horses have remained in the dark thus far, it seems, in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we we can maybe throw dark horse in with when people are like, you know, the Messi's and Ronaldo's of the world when you can't think of world-class players, so you're going to try to kind of generalize that one a little bit. Dark Horse essentially means they might be good, they have some good players, but I have no idea. But if they make a deep run, I kind of want to be in on that one early. So yeah, they're a Dark Horse, and I feel like you're with you, but when you really dig into those Dark Horses and look at them, the surface issues become more apparent, and I think for Ukraine, we saw some of that today. I I, I didn't really love Siderchuk returning to the lineup. I thought they looked much better. Not even trying to say he is a problem, just they looked better against North Macedonia without him. That might have been a North Macedonia versus Austria sort of thing, but still, uh, I, I thought you could see the kind of talent in a few of the players throughout this tournament, but for the most part, I think they didn't have the depth necessary and maybe the versatility necessary. And when you contrast that with Austria, who I saw them making little adjustments from game to game and maybe not as big of adjustments as they should have made from the first game to the second. But for me, putting David Alaba 
theoretically on the left side of a back three, but oftentimes it was more of a back four with him being on a, like an attacking left back slash left center back to have Sabitzer dropping in underneath Arnautovic, but sometimes partnering him. And so sometimes it was a 4-2-3-1, sometimes it was a 4-4-2, sometimes it was a different combination of those numbers. But you got different numbers in different places and were able to create different opportunities because of it. And so for Austria, I think to know sort of what their base performance level could be and then knowing how to change it up a little bit or add different components to then elevate certain sides of the field uh, when they need to be. I think it it shows us that they are a team that should certainly be considered a dark horse. Just kidding. We're past that point. I will say that they (laughs) could be a problematic team uh, if they continue to put together strong performances. And basically any team with Sabitzer uh, being as smart as he is and as talented as he is, I love the moment at the very end like right before the whistle goes when he is on the counter, could easily dribble to the corner flag and instead crosses the ball across the field. And at first I thought like, oh, that's just a mis- mishit pass until I realized that he played it behind everybody so that it then rolled all the way to the other side of the field and killed another five seconds or so. And then the whistle went. It made me like him even more than I already do. Um, Joe, when you saw the Austria team come out, I, I just pictured you at home sort of bursting open the windows and saying, devil out of is being used properly. And sort of <laughs> birds flying to you and running out into the hills and the squirrels dancing around you in celebration. There's rainbows everywhere. Was that about right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely it was. How did you, do you have a camera in my house? What, what is going on here, Ryan? That's very freaky. No, no, no. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I've been toying around with this idea in my head that Franco Foda, Austria's manager, had been sort of abusing David Alaba's flexibility in the first two group stage games, where we see him as this center center back. And it, it works fine because David Alaba can play anywhere on the field, and he's done so in the past for Bayern Munich, and he'll probably do that again for Real Madrid this upcoming season. But while he can do that job, and he can do some things really well in that spot, it's not the best role for him. And it really wasn't the best role for Austria. It it worked, but I think it ended up shackling David Alaba and shackling Austria's attack. And so I was really happy to see him at left back. And I thought as I saw the lineup, okay, this is going to be the David Alaba game. And to be honest, it wasn't. I still think Franco Foto made a mistake in his lineup for the first two games of this group. But we didn't really see David Alaba do a ton. Yeah, he got forward more and he did some good stuff and he provided some corner service on corner kicks, all that jazz. But he wasn't super involved in this game. Really, I think what, what won this game for Austria was their press and then Ukraine's inability to play through that press. Austria pressed in this 4-2-2-2 weird shape. Taylor talked about all the different permutations and, and different ways that that looked already. And the main goal of that press, as I saw it, was to deny space and deny access even for Ukraine to play into their three central midfielders. They would block off those players. They would step to them. They would you know, cut off passing angles. They would do whatever it took to deny Ukraine the ability to play through central midfield. And Ukraine could not figure out how to break through. They had one shot on target this entire game. They really struggled to drop in Yarmolenko or Malinovsky or whoever into the gaps behind Austria's pressing midfield. And there were gaps that I think Italy very likely will expose in the in the round of 16. But yeah, I mean, David Alaba, I was stoked to see him play left back. But for me, the story of this game was Austria's press and Ukraine's inability to exploit it. Joe, let me ask you this then. Uh, which player for Austria do you think has been most impressive with the least easy to pronounce name? And why is it Xaver Schlager? <laughs> Which is just a baller name. Come it on, is. Xaver Schlager. Are you kidding me? That's that's gold. He needs right. another X. He needs Xaver, like Xaver X Schlager or something like that. But he he has been, I think, a player that seemed to, when I was, I think, uh, yes, I did the prep work for Austria. Uh, I have forgotten all things, goldfish brain and such. Uh, but he was one who could play on like the right wing, could play as a number 10, could play as a number 8, was occasionally a number 6, could play on the left wing, and has sort of lived up to that building in my mind of bouncing around. But every place I see him, he tends to be doing tidying up or smart things on the ball. I don't see him getting robbed in possession and leaving his team vulnerable. He's a player that has definitely impressed and isn't maybe one of the more heralded names in that team. Well, the Scotland Prism viewed this one kindly as well, did it not, Graham? So uh, a, a good result for TSS as far as we can see on this one. We've got one more game to talk about, North Macedonia against the Netherlands. We're going to be talking about that right after you've heard about these goods and services that you should definitely look into. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, we are back. One more game from today's action to talk about. North Macedonia met Holland in Amsterdam. Joseph Lowry, I think you were the man who was uh, fa- uh, looking at this one a little closer than the rest of us. What did you make of this one? Uh, Gini Ronaldo, is he going to be top scorer in this competition? Is he going to ruin everyone's bets who had Lukaku to uh, be that person? <laughs> When Alden's making moves, right, he loves that run right up the middle of the box. That's how he scores uh, at least one of his goals in this game, and that's how he scored his first goal in the first group stage game for the Netherlands against Ukraine. He loves that little run, and he's so good at timing it well and finding space in the box to be able to hit his shot at just the right moment. It's it's interesting because in this game, I thought we were going to see Frank de Boer pull a Roberto Mancini in that I thought we were going to see a lot of lineup rotation. For Italy, I think we saw eight different starters for their last game that we talked about on yesterday's show. The Netherlands come in with almost the exact same starting 11. They make, I believe, just two changes with Daniel Malen and then Gravenberg in the lineup as well. And I think I think that was fascinating from Frank de Boer to run out almost the same starting eleven, just tweaking a couple of different things. And really, he ended up giving himself major things to think about as the Netherlands approached the knockout round. Mostly, what I'm talking about is Malin versus Veghorst. Which do you play, Graham? I know which you would play. Malin, I, I think, Malin, I think, Malin, I, Malin, Malin. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think I would play Malin as well. Sorry, Joe. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's. I was. I was hoping you were going to cut in with that. Malin is just this dynamic counterattacking threat, and he's even dangerous in possession and combination play. He broke out to lead to Depay's first goal in the 24th minute for the Netherlands. I thought Malin was one of the brightest players on the field for the Netherlands and really Frank de Boer got the win and gave himself a lineup headache for this next game certainly quite a good attacking uh, front line they had with Marlon with Memphis de, Barcelona's Memphis Depay and, uh, and Ronaldum up top as well Joe wasn't it it was a, a pretty impressive attacking performance and, and someone else we should probably mention here uh, maybe not a classic performance from him but Denzel Dumfries who there's always one or two players who get that big money move who get mentioned in the tabloids every day after a tournament could he be the guy from this tournament maybe any I mean Pep Guardiola collects uh, right sided players and- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's him. As long as as long as uh, Pep can spend at least fifty million pounds on him, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean Dumfries has the qualities yeah. <laughs> in, a, in attack, and he's shown the qualities in attack in this tournament that, that, you, that you want. <laughs> Thank you. That you want in an outside back that, that gets up the field. I still need to see more of him. He scored goals. He can provide width. I, I want to see more. I don't know what it is, but I I can't quite see him as this next level attacking talent yet. And I don't know that that's anyone else's fault but mine. He is, for me, though, at minimum, his floor right now is as an important attacking piece in this Dutch side. And that's not a bad place to be at all if you're Denzel Dumfries, with also one of the best names in this whole darn tournament. Yeah, giving Jeva Schlager a run for his money, certainly. Um, Taylor, your thoughts on the Netherlands. Do they have enough to go deep in this tournament? Because they're sort of being spoken about in those terms now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as we go with the opposition getting stronger, uh, both from an attacking standpoint, but then the teams that aren't going to be attacking being even better defensively and even more focused on that, it will come down to coaching. And I think the concerns about Frank uh, Frank de Jong, I went with Frankie de Jong and then uh, Frank de Boer, a combination there. The concerns about the Netherlands manager, Frank de Boer, will be, uh, I think, lingering and then we'll know more as we go. But until we see them sort of handle an opponent, I think either that they weren't expected to or by him making adjustments that were necessary and smart adjustments at that that create problems for the opponent that then lead to wins I think that's going to be the thing that holds them back a little bit fairly or unfairly I think you look at the depth of talent they have in all of the different positions and there's 
no reason why they couldn't make a deep run aside from it's a tournament and that's very difficult. But also the questions, as I said, around Frank DeBoer would be the reason why I wouldn't feel as comfortable as I would with, say, Italy or even Belgium, where Roberto Martinez has... I, like I would say a mixed bag in terms of the results he's gotten at club level, less so at international level. But I feel like I have more faith in him to sort of chop and change and make little adjustments and have Lukaku stand five yards to the right. And then that's the thing that leads to the goal. I don't know if I have that faith in Frank DeBoer. In fact, I know I don't, at least right now. Graham, you, uh, you covered North Macedonia in our preview pieces. It seems like they've Despite coming out with no points, they've done themselves fairly proud at this tournament. They had a few chances, certainly, against the Netherlands, didn't they? Yep, and, um, you know, not to not to give myself too much credit with the preview, but I, that, I did say in the preview that I thought they would finish on zero points, but still kind of do themselves justice at this tournament. And I think that's how it, how it panned out. You know, they weren't humiliated in, in any of the games. As you say, they, they created uh, some really good chances. And in this game, they, they have a... A goal disallowed early on for a for an offside, and then um, you know another another good chance to, to take the lead not soon after that. So they 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 just they're just a bit limited in terms of their individual quality. I thought they were set up pretty pretty well. We got the big Goran Pandev moment, both in terms of the goal he scored earlier in the tournament, and also in his uh, kind of John Terry esque. Uh, guard of honor that he received <laughs> in the middle of this match in the middle of a major tournament match Goran Pandev got a guard of honor from his own team as he he is um, retiring from certainly international football I'm not entirely sure if he's retiring from club football but he certainly won't be playing for North Macedonia again so from a sentimental point of view we also got a, a bit of a moment for North Macedonia in this game as well North Macedonia, we hardly knew ye. That was uh, Goran Pandev's 122nd uh, national team game as well. Congratulations to him on that career. That uh, Group C is wrapped up with Netherlands finishing on top with full points, nine points. Austria coming in second with six. Ukraine, ooh, the, the Scotland prism favours them kindly. In, from Scotland's perspective, they are on three points with a negative goal difference of minus one. And North Macedonia on their way. That was Monday's action. Oh, big one on Tuesday. Uh, big one for Joe Lowry, who doesn't have to get up very early at all for these three <laughs> Eastern kickoffs that we're getting tomorrow. We're yes. absolutely treated. You're welcome, Joe. Um, let's see what we got here. Croatia against Scotland, it says here, Graham. Ooh. Yeah, minus Billy Gilmore, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what Steve Clark is doing. I mean, are we smashing mirrors and for training drills, or is Hamden built on a ancient burial ground or something? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really know what's going on. Of course, it would be Billy Gilmore that would that would catch COVID. You know, the one the player who had uh, shone so brightly against England, the player that we've not stopped raving about since that that nil nil draw against England. Of course, he would be ruled out for the game, but. As much as I was down earlier today about it, I'm a little bit uh, brighter about it now. The Tierney injury was worse because, as I said at the time, we didn't have anyone like him. We do have options in central midfield, and yeah, it's going to be a difficult game against Croatia. I think they're better than they've shown so far, but I think it's a winnable game given what we've seen from them at this tournament so far. They've been pretty underwhelming. And um, the thing about today's games that had given me the fear was Scotland have targeted four points from this group from way way back when the, the draw was made when we qualified and so I had this fear that we would achieve that four points and it would somehow still not be enough for us to get through and that would be the most Scottish thing possible which is why I uh, I was paying such close attention to the results of these games and who will finish as the best third place teams now we know it's just a straight shootout. If Scotland win, or if Croatia win, then um, that the winner of that game is through to the last 16. And so I, I've got a bit of peace from that. I'm, I'm calm now about it, because if we if we draw or lose that game against Croatia, then we're not good enough to be in the last 16 anyway. My fear was that the football gods would conspire against us, as they tend to do, and as they did earlier today. But I'm over it. I, I promise I'm over it. That's good, Graham, because <laughs> I'm going to ask you questions you're not going to like. Uh, so, Billy Gilmore is <laughs> not going to be involved in this one, but also Billy Gilmore would not have been scoring the goals for Scotland, I presume, who, I, as far as I can recall, still have not yet scored at this tournament, but will need to to get the win against Croatia. How do you think Scotland will attack in this game? Is it going to be defensive and then countering, or do you think they'll try to kind of be proactive and put Croatia under early like what would you like to see Scotland do or what do you think they will do or maybe both I would I would like to see a, a performance similar to the the England game I think there's I think the despite Billy Gilmore being out I will be 
astonished if Steve Clark changes the structure of that team as he did for the first game with Tierney out. Tierney's injury seemed to scramble his mind a little bit and it was a really strange team selection from him I think it will just be a straight replacement for Billy Gilmore I think Scott McTominay will stay in central defence I think it will likely be maybe Callum McGregor dropping back slightly and then Stuart Armstrong coming in or Armstrong himself can play the kind of deep lying midfield role he did that for Celtic for, for a long time I know he's played more attacking for Southampton but we do have options in there. I honestly wouldn't be too uncomfortable if, and I don't think this will happen, but um, even someone like David Turnbull, I think is good enough to, it really is a bit of a, a, a position of strength for Scotland. And in terms of who's going to provide the goals, Che Adams has never gone um, more than two games for Scotland without scoring a goal. Now, you might say he's not played many games for Scotland. That is absolutely true. But he's he's showing a real cutting edge in a lot of the games he's scored for Scotland. I think he was he was pretty dangerous against England. He had, you know, two or three good chances. And so I'm pretty comfortable that if we perform as we did against England, that a goal will come. And, and, and I'm happy with the bones of that team. And yes, we don't have anyone as good as Billy Gilmore to kind of execute that role in the central centre of the pitch, but we don't need to rip up and start again. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the, the strategy. Taylor reminded us there that Scotland haven't scored at this tournament, Graham. Can you can you remind me how many other teams have not scored at this tournament? Oh, no, is it, is it zero? I haven't actually clocked that. <laughs> I think only... it's zero. I think you're the only ones, Graham. Oh, no. I mean, they did, I did notice on the BBC earlier today that they had a, a package, like a, like a montage of uh, both England and Scotland preparing for their final games in the, in the group before qualification. And England's, you know, was Sterling's, Sterling's goal. And then Scotland's montage package was uh, goalkeeper saves and hitting the crossbar. And there, there wasn't actually a moment of celebration anywhere in the montage. So I'm hoping that will come tomorrow. Hopefully so for your sake, Greg. We also were talking earlier about the permutations of uh, if Scotland win this one and England lose and England can go in third and then maybe not face the group of death in the next two rounds of knockouts which would be favorable is that right have I got that right yeah this is this is where it gets all all <laughs> really, very complicated I think the only scenario where England can finish third is as is, is right as you say there if they lose to Czech Republic and Scotland I think basically we need to better your goal difference so you you England beat uh, Croatia 1-0 obviously so we I think we would need to yeah win 2-0 against Croatia I think that's the scenario which that might not be very likely <laughs> to be honest but uh, it can happen it's all very confusing and the other game of course taking place simultaneously is the Czech Republic against England uh, lest we forget the Czech Republic were the one team to beat England in qualifying uh, back in Prague in October 19 uh, I feel like this is one that England should win but I felt like that about the last game we played and I'm terrified of Patrick Schick and the things he does um, Joe, any thoughts on this game? Because I'm too scared to talk about it. I think, Ryan, and I'm sorry to say it, I think you have a right to be scared. The Czech Republic have been <sighs> impressive in their group so far. They really muck things up defensively. They try to deny usually your best players, but most often central midfielders, the ball and, and make it difficult for them to progress, make it difficult for opponents to progress through the middle. Patrick Schick is a dangerous number nine, uh, having some very capable central midfielders playing lower down the field and some capable wingers, as well as specifically Jakob Yankto on that left side. I like him a lot. Coming central, I think the Czech Republic are going to cause England some real problems, and it's going to be up for England to either win this game on set pieces or move the ball faster and with more purpose and not rely so much on just 1v1 ability and fortune, good luck, to actually break through an opposing defense. I think England are really going to need to step up their possession play or, again, hope for something on a set piece in this game, which they totally can do, Ryan. It just hasn't happened in this group just yet. Ryan, don't worry, I've got comforting news for you, which is that this is why I'm really happy I'm not an international manager, because I have no idea, and I hope Southgate does, uh, because like this is the type of game where, oh, you know, they, they've started strong, maybe they rest some people, so they're going to make the knockout round, but if he does that and they don't win, then he's going to be attacked. If he starts everybody and plays them all the full game and they win, and then they get knocked out in the next round, he'll be attacked for that one. So it's a really difficult one for him to navigate, and that's where I think Joe is absolutely right, that maybe you change it up and you do change the personnel, Maybe you try to change up a few players, but I think the priority is probably on set pieces and winning goals. I won't be surprised if England get a penalty in this one. I won't be surprised if it is 
earned by Harry Kane. I'll put it that way. And I'm not even saying it critically. He's just very good at knowing how to put himself in positions to uh, draw a penalty. And maybe that will be what England need in this one. If he doesn't play, then that won't be the case. But maybe that's then grounds for criticism for Southgate. So I think, though I have confidence England will get through this one, I think there are lots of different stressors that could make that more challenging and then it's how he deals with those how they navigate those and to some extent maybe that's a good thing that if you're going into the next round by having to figure out a a complicated opponent who beat you previously and you do so that's got to be a sort of confidence boost as opposed to potentially maybe getting a draw and you still go through but it wasn't really convincing and you're not sure where you stand that would be the downside of things. Did that help, Ryan? I'm sure it did. Evoking Harry Kane, uh, Taylor, I, I just feel like he could turn up with one leg and Dominic Cavett-Lewin would still be on the bench. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Which, which means now we've guaranteed that it will be probably like Marcus Rashford starting up top. Out of nowhere. Oh, dear. Ryan, I was going to ask you, how, how important do you feel that it is to get a good draw because obviously today's results mean that England if my calculations are correct England are through you are you have qualified for the next round so yes how how much how much importance are you placing on getting the right route or are you of the mindset that if you're going to win this whole thing you're going to have to beat everyone anyway yeah, so it, obviously if we if England finish top of the group, then they face the second place team in the group of death, which would be, you know, one of France, Germany or Portugal, I think at this point. Um, and if, if they don't face them at that point, it'll be in the next round. So obviously England are always set up to go out of the round of 16 or maybe the quarterfinals to a far superior team. It's the pattern that England always have. The other pattern that England always, always have is to have this really shaky, disappointing period where the nation turns against them and they put in a really apathetic performance. Had that already against Scotland as well. So this is where I hope the curve trends upwards a little bit until that crushing disappointment of going out to Portugal on penalties. That's my basic answer. (laughs) Ryan, I'm assuming I know the answer to this one because English media is English media. Uh, But what is, from what you've seen, like the perception of this team right now? Is the coverage sort of like, ah, it's just still not good enough. It's still another team that's underperforming. Like, I think you all messaged to say that I think halftime on the BBC for the games today was pretty much just a discussion of England. And I'm assuming that doesn't mean that they're all... Uh, like raving and positive about the team. But is there some positivity or is it mostly just like, oh, here we go again, same old England? I think it's a healthy mix. Okay. Would you agree with that, Graham? Certainly from what you've seen on the BBC coverage, it's a, it's a healthy mix of optimism, um, which is generally crushed by pessimism. And the Brit- British people's default setting is pessimistic, right, Graham? <laughs> yeah, certainly Scottish default setting is pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. This, it just feels like this is a team that like, they won, they won against a team that were difficult and not trying to make their lives easy they get the one no win they go they go up against a historical rival who are fighting for their lives and that one finishes nil nil so they've got four points as graham said they're already through to the next round just a matter of in which like level that would be i i think there's a decent chance that they win comfortably tomorrow and then it's seven points and things are much rosier of course if they don't then that is very much the wrong thing to say but i I just i don't quite see where all the frustration comes from it seems like a lot of if if it had been the other way around and they still had scotland to play but had drawn the czech republic the way they drew scotland i don't think that the reaction is as negative as it is right now put it that way I think it's, um, it, from, from a short-term perspective, Taylor, you're right there. There are four points on the ball, qualified already. That's fine. But I think where the, the disappointment and the negativity comes in is when you look at the performance against Scotland, there were expectations that this team would go deep. There were expectations among many British and other people that this, this team would be really challenging and going to the final right, and yeah, you know, finally bringing it home. And that is not what we've seen. We've not seen the calibre of team that could possibly put that kind of run together. So I think that's where it comes in. Yes, we're going to get out of the group, but it just feels like we're going to hit that wall once again. And it, and it's also just down to, it, I think, because England's strength in, in terms of their squad is, is clearly in the attacking areas. So you would you would presume that Southgate would play to that strength and that you would have actually like attacking zestful, entertaining performances and it's a little bit of the, the same criticism that's angled at Deschamps that you know he that Southgate isn't isn't facilitating that and the, he isn't unleashing those attacking talents and Jaden Sancho might as well not be in the squad at all. He's not had a minute so far. The thing with Deschamps is he's he's got, you know, a World Cup winners medal to kind of deflect a lot of that criticism and Southgate doesn't at the moment. 
and hopefully it stays that way. Yeah. All right. I, I think that I yeah. think that makes that that does make sense. And maybe this is like the broken clock analogy sort of situation with the the British press mm. that I think I'm maybe more inclined to as soon as I hear them saying like this player's terrible and it's somehow always Raheem Sterling. I like the the red flags go up for me, and, it, and maybe that's the case here. But in this case, it's actually justified some of that criticism because you you are right. I am forgetting that against Scotland, who were, especially in the dying moments, really fighting for that nil-nil draw. Maybe England were okay with it too, but that did seem like the time when they could have maybe rolled the dice, put on some of that, those talented players, and, and gone forward or tried some different things tactically. So may, maybe I am being too positive about this England team, but Ryan, I also wouldn't be too negative if I were you. We've struck an even balance there, Tay-Tay. No. That's what I would say. Uh, why don't we wrap up this pod? Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time today. We're looking forward to uh, covering those games in detail tomorrow, Tuesday's games, that is. For the meantime, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your positivity and uh, and uh, viewing things through the Scotland prism as we all have done today. Of course, of course. I do feel bad, though. I asked you both about the British press. Joe, what's the Phoenix press like when it comes to the England national team? Positive or negative? Oh, oh, you know, they're they're very loud about it yeah, and course. very concerned. Um, not at all, not at all focused on any other things right now here in Phoenix. It's too hot to think about that, Taylor. My mistake, my mistake. <laughs> Joe, thank you very much for your time. Hope it's not too hot for you, sir. <laughs> no, thank you, Ryan. And Graham Ruthven, good luck tomorrow, champ. Good luck to you as well, Ryan, and I hope we finish <laughs> above you in the group. Wow. That was so forced. Oh my god! So, so cordial, so cordial. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> That's all we can ask, Graham. For the meantime, bye. <laughs>